At a distance, the cloud of ashes which it threw out blackened one side of the horizon in such a manner as to convey the appearance of a threatening tropical squall. As we approached, the real nature of the phenomenon became apparent, and ashes even fell on the deck. Local opinion varied as to the cause of the mountain's groggy awakening. Some thought it the celebration of a marriage among the gods, while others viewed it more darkly. The rumblings signified anger, they said. In a notorious incident, a Sumbawan chief had murdered a Muslim pilgrim. Another legend still popular in Sumbawa tells of a visiting sheikh, a holy man, who was outraged to find dogs loose in the local mosque. When the offended locals served him canine meat in revenge, the sheikh discovered the trick and began to pray. In an instant he vanished, the butchered dog reappeared in living form, and the volcano began to bellow. Still others believed the gods were angry that the people had allowed foreign white men with their ships and guns to enslave them on plantations in nearby Java and Makassar. The Raja took all these opinions personally. Throughout the East Indies, volcanism served as a symbol of political power. Sultans, for example, represented themselves as offspring of the mountain god, Shiva. Volcanic eruptions were accordingly viewed as mirrors of human affairs, as punishment for the poor administration of their rulers. Tambora's rumblings were bad news for the Raja. They unnerved his people and undermined his legitimacy in their eyes. On the evening of April 5, 1815, at about the time his servants would have been clearing the dinner dishes, the Raja heard an enormous thunderclap. Perhaps his first panic thought was that the beach lookout had fallen asleep and allowed a pirate ship to creep into shore and fire its cannon. But everyone was instead staring up at Mount Tambora. A skyward jet of flame burst from the summit, lighting up the darkness and rocking the earth beneath their feet. The noise was incredible, painful. Huge plumes of flame issued from the mountain for three hours until the dark mist of ash became confused with the natural darkness, seeming to announce the end of the world. Then, as suddenly as it had begun, the column of fire collapsed. The earth stopped shaking, and the bone-jarring roars faded. Over the next few days, Tambora continued to bellow occasionally, while ash drifted down from the sky. But for the Raja, the emergency appeared over. His first concern was for the imminent rice harvest. The villagers toiled night and day in the fields to clean the thick film of gray sandy dust from the rice plants, a messy business. Meanwhile, to the south, in the capital, Bima, colonial administrators were sufficiently alarmed by the events of April 5th to send an official, named Israel, to investigate the emergency situation on the Tambora Peninsula. We don't know if he stopped to discuss the situation with the Raja of Sangar, but by April 10th, the unlucky man's bureaucratic zeal had led him to the very slopes of Tambora. There, in the dense tropical forest, at about 7 p.m., he became one of the first victims of the most powerful volcanic eruption in recorded human history.